This message was recorded in private as um, the original sermon um, recording malfunctioned. Um, and this is part two in the um, in the Song of Solomon series that we're going through at Rev. And um, <clears throat> this uh, sermon is entitled Understanding the Song. So last week Clive uh, opened up for us uh, week one of our series in the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon and he made four main points. The first one was that, that this is a song and um, as with any song the idea is that our hearts indeed are massaged by it, that we are touched and moved by it, that we um, that it's this is not simply um, words for the mind and for the cerebral parts of our being but they are they are words that are to penetrate us on a heart level um, and we'll all, we would all experience in various ways with different music that we enjoy that when, when the music starts something happens on, on a heart level we're moved in a way <clears throat> that we're not when there's no music so there's a song and we, uh, this is a song and we are to allow it to massage our hearts the second point he made was about the, this longing for connection that we all that we all live with that in a sense we are we all born uh isolated broken estranged um due to the original sin and 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 that we live with this sense of longing for reconnection and um one of the ways one of the main ways that the song of uh songs focuses on that is by looking at the relationship of marriage between a man and a woman and that that, that coming coming together or coming back together and um so there's this longing for connection that runs through the book and that we are to be aware of as we go through it. The third thing is that it, this this book of the Bible is lumped in with the wisdom literature. It's um it's you'll find it together with uh, proverbs and with um, Ecclesiastes. And this is this these are the, these are portions of the scripture <coughs> that are known as the wisdom literature. And there are two main messages here. The first is for single people. And the message is wait, um, be patient. Um, whatever you do, don't awaken romantic or erotic love before it's time because it's powerful, it's explosive, and uh, in the wrong context, very dangerous. Um, and uh, and the other, the other message of wisdom is for the marrieds, which is let nothing come between you. It's so important that you maintain this closeness, this intimacy, that you keep putting the fuel on the fire and that your delight for one another remains um, unhindered and uh, unblocked. And that's wisdom. That is wisdom indeed. The fourth point that Clive made is that that this book is exploring God's great love for us and where that leads. That there is um, That God's love for us perhaps is surprising in the sense that <clears throat> this literature which we will focus on during this sermon for for part perhaps most of the sermon is that this is pointing towards uh this is signposting us towards the love of god for his people it's it's more than just about marriage it's more than just about uh, a romantic relationship between a man and a woman though it is about that but we'll look at that as we go through so they were the four main points from last week's introduction that this is a song to massage our hearts it's about longing for connection there's wisdom for for unmarried and for married people and there's this exploration of god's great love for us so now today essentially is another intro um we need preparation for a series like this and i'm going to really focus it on two of the above and 
Um, we're going to focus on two main things from the above points. We're going to spend most of our time on the second one, but I do want to just speak for a few minutes on, say some things on marriage. Um, the first thing is, is that the church's journey as a whole, the Christian church over the last 2,000 years, has been an interesting one. And so what you tend to find if you look back at your church history is that actually um, in the earliest centuries it was very often considered more spiritual to remain unmarried, that it was somehow purer, that it was somehow um, more um, suited to the higher spiritual life not to be married, um, and that it was kind of looked upon as in some ways um, above the married life from a spiritual perspective and actually that 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 is probably worth saying that 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 idea actually did last more than a few centuries it wasn't really until the reformation around the 1500s where that was challenged in a big way and um, uh, from that point onwards really we we find that ministers in the church are permitted to be married and and i would say probably much of the time encouraged to be married and 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 probably what's happened in the last few centuries is something of a movement in the opposite direction where very often um the unmarried life is often viewed in the christian world as a bit of a holding bay a bit of a you know you know you can't fully function until you find your found your partner and that you know there's, there's perhaps something wrong if you're with you, even if you're not married or, or something like that, I guess you get different um, different extremes of the attitude. But I think it, that, that there, there are often very subtle um, messages given out that people that aren't married particularly would pick up on an experience and feel. Um, <clears throat> and so we need to make sure we, that we that we have a biblical understanding of marriage and really say that probably neither of those views are correct that actually there are there's enough scriptures on 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 either side of the conversation to give us a very high view of marriage to which is you know that's right that we have a very very high view of marriage but that also we have a high view of the of the single life of the unmarried life um and that you can kind of there are arguments that are that work you know the complementary arguments they're not contradictory they're complementary arguments but that if you like speak up for the, those various um, situations in life to be married or not to be married and um, but I think it's important to say some things about marriage firstly that, that it's not ultimate um, it points to something ultimate it points to the marriage between Christ and the church it's a signpost but it's not ultimate Jesus makes it clear when speaking to the religious leaders in the gospel of Matthew that the the marriage relationship ends at death um whether whether it's when one of the spouses die or if they die together that from that point on that covenant agreement is annulled it is annulled by death um your husband or your wife if you are married will not be your husband or your wife in the new heavens and the new earth um but that marriage relationship points to a marriage relationship that is ultimate which is the marriage between Christ and the church so it's not an ultimate thing, but it's vital that we celebrate it because, well, from for number one, it's it, you know it was one of the first things God ordained in creation. Marriage is a good thing; it's a blessed thing. It's an of it's of God. It's it's uh, vital for the uh, multiplication 
of of the human race, uh, which is a which is a blessed thing. Um, it's you know it's it when when um, approached wisely um, is a beautiful beautiful thing. Um, that picture that um, that coming together of the man and the woman is stunning, <clears throat> and. Um, and 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 it's the, obviously the most intimate of human relationships, and so you know God creates male and female to reflect His image, and when they come together in a relationship as close as marriage, it's, it's a stunning thing. It it's a, a wonderful portrayal of the image of God, and and also you know that that it does do this incredibly uh, spiritual uh, work, this job, if you like, of. Of demonstrating something of the ultimate marriage that is to come, the climax of creation, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, and yet there's a, there's a load of fear around marriage. There's a lot of pain um, around the subject. There's a lot of nervousness around uh, and confusion around marriage. A lot of people are the other walking wounded from um, unhappy marriages, from uh, failed marriages abusive marriages there's there's plenty there's plenty to uh, to to cause people significant emotional concern and more and more people are, are opting not to get married but there's something that we must say about this union of the man and the woman you see when you read the story of creation you see that the woman was taken from the man and so and so when when a man and a woman come back together again i guess in in any healthy male-female relationship but particularly comes to its high point its climax its most focused expression in marriage it's not just a union it's a reunion it's this 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 um which has th this this humanity that was in adam this one humanity that became two as she was taken out of him comes together again as one it's 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 extraordinarily meaningful and deep and profound there's this sense of coming back to um, what was in terms of oneness although obviously in a slightly different way but it captures something so uh, beautiful um, in terms of in terms of the the history of humanity um, which is very very important and uh, and so in celebration of the mystery you know, of the man and the woman, we see that that that, that they are the same. There's something same about Adam says when he first meets Eve. This is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. It turns out that men are not from Mars. Women are not from Venus. They're from they're you know, man is from the earth and she is from the man. And it's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And and when they come together, they create life. When they come together in love, life. Is created. What a stunning invention that this coming together in passionate, pleasurable, erotic, intimate, beautiful love produces human life. Wow. And so it's really important that we strengthen the marriages that are among us, that we prize and that we protect the marriages that are among us, that we that we do that, 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 that we strengthen those of you that are married through this series that your marriages become better and stronger through this series but it's also important that we equip those of you who are not married 
on, in, on, in two ways. Firstly, that we equip you because one day you may be married. So we want to teach you about this, get your thinking you know, biblical, uh, understand the heart of God for marriage so that you know you, wrong ideas can be undone and, and can be um, ironed out. So there's that. But then the second thing also that you can be equipped to support and serve your married friends. That you understand that because they're married, they're, they're not living in some sort of utopia. There will be challenges they will face in terms of loving their spouse well. There will be challenges they face in their relationship. We want you to be equipped to be able to counsel and support and be give godly advice. So it's really important that we're all on board here and that, and that we make sure that we that we just get it out there and and say that. So the marriage, that's the first thing. Now the, the second thing, and most of our time will be focused on this is this this divine love this i think we need to be come very bold if we are to uh, really embrace this wholeheartedly uh, um the, the, this idea that this book the song of solomon and some of the scriptures we'll, we'll look at from there in a moment but, but which is clearly and obviously about the love between a man and a woman that that it is also about the love between god and his people which we see specifically worked out in the relationship between Christ and the church. Um, that it's that there's an allegorical perspective to the book, that it's it's not just to be taken at face value on the plain reading, but there are there is there is uh, something going on beyond that allegorically. I'll, I'll, I'll read you a quote here just to, just to show we're in we're in a good tradition here in terms of understanding certain elements of the scriptures allegorically um, in, the, in this brilliant commentary by Charlie Cleverly he says this he says, um, he says take note how much of Paul's teaching differs from the plain meaning what, what the Jews thought was a crossing of the sea for Paul it's baptism what they supposed was the cloud he said that was the Holy Spirit what Exodus calls a rock, Paul says that was Christ. Such reconfigurings are not uncommon in the way the Bible interprets itself. So we find that there are certain scriptures that are clearly applied allegorically. So, uh, and, and so we're going to approach this book in this way. Um, let me read to you from the book of Ezekiel. Which is a, uh, Ezekiel was a prophet who prophesied around the time of the people of Israel's exile into Babylon. And um, let me read to you these first 14 verses of chapter 16. Ezekiel 16, verses 1 to 14. It's very vivid. It doesn't make for the most comfortable reader, but it's very vivid. And I want us to, I want us to get to grips with this. It says this. It says, um, Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite and as for your birth on the day you were born your cord was not cut nor were you washed with water to cleanse you nor rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling cloths no I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you but you were cast out on the open field for you were abhorred on the day you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish 
like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. And when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Now, here we have this, again, this very um, vivid allegorical kind of idea. God is saying to his people Israel, this is what you were like when, I, this is what you were like as a, when you were first formed as a baby. And then, and then this idea of, come into the age of love and and what we see here is that is that there's this he takes her to be his and the the context he's talking about there is as a groom would a bride he takes her to be his and he beautifies her with his love and attention and care and she becomes stunning with the beauty with which he's beautified her this is a language in which god is speaking to his prophet ezekiel about his people and then when we get to you know the New Testament, and and it becomes sort of into sharper and sharper focus, and we see that uh, what's happening in 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 the reality of who God is is that the Father is looking for a bride for His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when you get to the Book of Ephesians, um, in in chapter five, you it it becomes even more um, specific. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. It's the same sort of idea, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. You see, he's saying, he's saying that Christ has Christ has washed his church, his bride, and so here. What we say, what the question I want to ask us is: Will we go there? Will you go there? I'm going to go there. Will you go there? Charles Spurgeon, who was a Victorian uh, preacher in London, at a church of ten thousand or so back back in Victorian London, extraordinary. He said this. He said, "Certain divines have doubted the inspiration of Solomon's song. That means that." Certain people have doubted whether that was something, a book that actually the Holy Spirit did inspire because it's earthy, it's erotic, it's passionate. It doesn't seem like very like religious literature. Others have conceived it to be nothing more than a specimen of ancient love songs and some have been afraid to preach from it because of its high poetical character. The true reason for all this avoidance of one of the most heavenly portions of God's word lies in the fact that the spirit of the song is not easily attained. Its music belongs to the higher spiritual life and has no charm in it for unspiritual ears. The song occupies a sacred enclosure into which none may enter unprepared. 
Put off your shoes from your feet, for the place whereupon you stand is holy ground, is the warning voice from its secret tabernacles. The historical books I may compare to the outer courts of the temple. The Gospels, the Epistles and the Psalms bring us into the holy place or the court of the priests. But the Song of Solomon is the most holy place, the holy of holies, before which the veil still hangs to many an untaught believer. It is not all the saints who can enter here, for they have not yet attained unto the holy confidence of faith and that exceeding familiarity of love which will permit them to commune in conjugal love with the great bridegroom. That is bold. That is seriously bold. He's not saying that only certain believers are allowed. He's saying that only certain believers will go there. That that some will just go, ah, it's too much, too close. I'm ah, not comfortable with that. Not comfortable with that idea. Let me let me show you um, so, some of the scriptures from Song of Solomon. We'll look at a few of the scriptures here, and I'll just show you how it how these scriptures relate to other portions in the Bible, and just try to build an argument, a good argument for why we can approach this book allegorically. Chapter one, verse ten says, "Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels." He is admiring her beauty and and how she has been adorned in this way well do you remember what we read in ezekiel 16 earlier in verse 11 i adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck you see it's exactly the same language i mean in some places it's almost word for word in chapter 2 verse 14 he says to her oh my dove in the clefts of the rock in the crannies of the cliff let me see your face let me hear your voice for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely but then you see if we go to Exodus 33 here we have Moses longing to see God's face show me your glory show me your glory Exodus 33 verse 18 Moses said Show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. And I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you may stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by it's the same thing in the cleft of the rock but this time it's the lover talking it's the beloved talking to the lover in the cleft of the rock I will let me see your face I want to see your face you think oh my goodness in Song of Solomon chapter 4 verse 12 it says a garden locked is my sister my bride a spring garden locked a fountain Sealed, And then down in verse 15, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. And there's this idea of this, this garden lock, this fountain sealed and then this kind of uh, this flowing stream. So this locked up fountain and these flowing streams. And then, you know, in John uh, 7, you know, at, the, at the final day of the great feast, in verse 38, 
Jesus says, he cries out, doesn't he, in the middle of the feast. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. There it is. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's, it, it's this, it's this same idea. There's this, it, it, it's, um, it's poetic language being in Song of Songs being used to talk about, um, the beauty and the giving of love, the giving of erotic, passionate love within marriage. It's it's like opening up the fountain, letting the letting the river, letting the waters, letting the letting it flow. That's the, the image that's being used. And then Jesus uses that same poetic image to talk about life in the spirit, life in the fullness of the spirit. And then and then you see the same idea in Proverbs five, where where um, the instruction is being given to the young man there by his father and the young and the father says drink water from your own system drink flowing water from your own well what's he talking about should your springs be scattered abroad streams of water in the streets let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you he goes on he goes on rejoice in the wife of your youth let her breasts fill you at all times with delight be intoxicated always in her love and you see this whole idea of uh, fountain sealed this this idea of uh, beauty and uh, flowing beauty and you know it's ever so uh, important that we that we catch the wild free uh, romantic glory of 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 of, of both uh, uh, marital love and also relationship with God that these two things are being brought in the same feel in the same with the same imagery to us God's doing this. We're not. This isn't our idea. This is what we. This is the word of God. One more. Song of Solomon, chapter five, verse six and eight. I, I rose to open to my beloved. Um, and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolts. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me. When he spoke. I sought him but found him not. If you find my beloved, tell him I am sick with love. There's this pursuit. There's this longing and fainting for him. Psalm 63 verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. There it is. There it is. I'm just trying to build a case. Will we go there? Will we go there? I think it's absolutely vital that we do. And I'm going to quote again from the Cleverly commentary just to show you why. He says this, Increasingly, business as usual Christianity will not be enough for her to survive. In a world groaning with the constant threat of terror, a world where in the West a more or less marginalised church struggles in a society governed by political correctness, the church further afield is often demonstrating vividly to us the need to recover a passionate love for Christ. This passion was seen in the days of martyrs like Latimer and Ridley. Ridley greeted his last day on earth before being burnt at the stake in Oxford joyfully as the day of his marriage supper. We may need to recover the affections of Latimer, who spoke in his letters of the fairness of the dear darling son of God in whom was all his father's delectation in a day when christians may again be persecuted beheaded or crucified one could argue that only this passionate intimacy will get through the waters of persecution about to break on the church we live in a world full of fears extreme weather 
economic upheaval and the threat of terror. As Christ said, nations will be in anguish because of the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. Mike Bickle, in his plea for a reawakening of what he calls the pleasures of loving God, says this, Something is on the horizon for planet Earth for which the church is completely unprepared. An unprepared church cannot possibly prepare an unprepared world. God's mercy to the world is a prepared church, a prepared bride. She will be prepared because she will be prepared by a holy romance with her bridegroom God. I believe that as she discovers the divine romance, the church will be able to view everything differently. When the bride is lost in the pleasure of spiritual lovesickness, she'll be able to interpret the events of the last days through a lens of love. Currently, the church in the West is focused on the things of this world and not on the bridegroom. Because of this, we are often not grounded in love and so are frequently, completely unprepared to be of much use in society as agents of grace. But I believe it is as if God is beckoning the human race. He's calling us to live the divine romance. Many have said yes to this, but few have truly meditated on it and been fed and sustained deeply by the word of God so as to live in the light of this daily. Hopefully, this exploration will be nourishing in the pursuit of this end. Will we go there? Will we go there? We need to understand this. I'm going to start to get to application in a minute at the end of this sermon but we need to understand this that the climax of creation where it's all headed is the most glorious wedding and marriage you could imagine in Revelation 19 verse 6 to 9 it says this it says I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out <coughs> hallelujah the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Brothers and sisters, there's a reason why Jesus didn't get married. And why, whether we are married or not, we are to live for this day. Jesus kept himself for his bride, the church. Jesus poured himself out for his bride, the church. Jesus is waiting eagerly for that day. It behoves us to learn how to wait eagerly for that day. By way of application today, I want to just say this. I want to say something to the men. First of all, men, I want to say this. Because, listen, it's going to be an unusual few months. Week on week, we're going to be hammering the point home that we we are the bride. Men and women, church, we are the bride. So men, how will we do with this? This is about headship. This is about laying your sword at the feet of Christ. This is about bringing your strength to Jesus this takes immense courage there's a story in the Old Testament where King David says oh how I long to drink water from this certain well and he he has these mighty men these extraordinary soldiers around him and as soon as they hear this request they go to down to this well they fight their way through the enemy get him some water 
and bring it back to him. He can't believe what they do, such as their devotion and their commitment to him and their desire to honour and please him. He actually pours the water out on the ground and said, how can I drink this? You risked your lives for this. I don't know what they would have made of that. But nevertheless, there is this laying their swords at his feet. We are yours, O David. Fellas, where are you laying your sword? Fellas, where are you where are you where are you laying who 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 is your David? Who are you looking up to? Who are you passionately laying laying bowing the knee to and, and honouring as your head? It's so important that we get through on this. Letting him win your heart. Letting him win your heart. You know, in, in the story of David and Jonathan, whereby we get the most, I guess it's probably the, the, the most um, intimate picture of true uh, friendship in the whole Bible. We, we see this moment where David and Jonathan's heart is knitted together and we're told in 1 Samuel 18, it says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armour, including his sword and his bow and his belt. Who are you giving? Are you giving your armour, your sword, your bow and your belt to King Jesus? You know, we're in crisis as a culture. And um, it's not just Christians that are saying that. It's um, secular anthropologists and historians will be looking on and saying many, many of the symptoms of our culture in the West now are the symptoms of a culture on collapse. Um, what happens typically when a culture is on the verge of collapse is that um, all kinds of confusion happens around gender and you tend to find particularly when it comes to men two things happen either men become increasingly uh, akin to females in the way that they act and live and carry themselves or they become kind of extreme sort of macho and we're seeing that right now we're seeing that we're seeing absolutely seeing that happen uh, in the West I mean if you look at just just you know just watch documentaries and do a bit of reading and you'll see the rise of extreme kind of machoism across Western culture and also uh, extreme kind of femininity in, in many other men there's an absolute bewilderment about what it means to be genuinely um, masculine and we're trusting that the Lord, is, who is the true model of what a man should look like, is going to teach us how to love fiercely and to be ravished men. You know, Jesus said this. Jesus said in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it's a very sort of um, stark warning and provoking question. Jesus said, he said, because the lawlessness is increased, talking about the end times, most people's love will grow cold. Most people's love will grow cold. Lord, keep us from that keep us from that women women we're in a situation now where feminism is increasingly at war with itself simply because it doesn't have enough in it feminism fights for equality and that's a really good and important thing to fight for it's uh, it's absolutely the heart of God that that men and women are, are equal absolutely uh, it's a good thing but it's it's not the whole thing and as such it doesn't have enough in it all it knows what to do is to fight for equality um, but more is required because more than that is written into the fabric of creation and the fabric of 
humanity and the truly new woman in Christ has clarity on what a dignified and strong response to a worthy headship looks like. Women, if you can yield to the perfectly loving Christ as your head, if you can utterly give yourself to him in abandon and trust for every part of your being and every part of your life, then what you do is you begin to carve out a path of fearless trust in your soul that will be an immense help as you grapple with what trusting worthy men looks like for the coming decades of your life. And so it's so important that, that we, it's so important, vital that we grapple with this. To conclude, this song holds the key to a number of doors for all of us. They are doors that if we walk through, they will lead us into true spiritual reality, true spiritual understanding, and true spiritual encounter. Will we go there? 